I'm going to be doing, we, as you know, well, as you, I'm sure you know, uh, we are very, very strong proponents of the concept of 1 John 1, 9, and that's the confession and the restoration of fellowship. Uh, we have always believed that the uh, believer is indwelled with the Spirit, which we're going to talk about a little more later on. One of my uh, discouragements in life, if you would want to call it that, is since I've been a Christian, I've, I've often saddened by the fact that more people don't know the power of the Spirit in their life. And I'm not talking about charismatic kind of things or anything like that. I'm just the fact that the Holy Spirit is here to guide you and lead you and all that. And if you don't take advantage of it, what a shame. And so that's one of the things that we're going to be dealing with here some. We also hold, of course, with the idea that when you are in sin or you have unconfessed sin, then that fellowship is broken. And we're going to look at that a little differently today than we ever have before, I think, here. Uh, so as we get into those things, um, at times it maybe it seemed a little bit herky-jerky. I was having problems getting just or the right kind of flow, you know, and going and all that. So I apologize for that if it doesn't always go smoothly as it should. But it's been on my heart since this concept of this way of looking at relationships and fellowship is something that has really stirred my imagination and stirred my thinking about we're getting it right, but we maybe can explain it a little better. And so that's what this is all about this morning. We're going to try to find a way for you to better comprehend what that whole idea of fellowship and relationship is all about. When you think about to, back to Adam and Eve, for example, we're going to do a little chronological things here. Uh, when you think about it, Adam and Eve, they were in a perfect environment. I can't even imagine what that would be like. But when I think of heaven, I think of that. That's the only way I can actually picture any kind of what heaven's going to be like. Is a lot like how it was in the garden. They were walking with the Lord with no impediments between them. There were no restrictions, no nothing going on between them. They were all just, and I frequently wonder, how long did that last? I mean, it may have been thousands of years. I just, I don't have any idea. It may have been 25 minutes, you know, who knows? But nevertheless, that is what the Bible pictures as being the way that it was with Adam and Eve. Uh, if they had a question, if they had a theological question, psh, boy, you can't ask for a better person to be there to explain it to you. And so there weren't any of those kinds of issues at all. But then sin raised its ugly head. And you know, God intended that relationship to be a blessing. We oftentimes don't think about that. You know, the Christian life is a difficult life. But God intended it for it to be a blessing, for a joy. We're supposed to be, of all people, joyful. I don't always see that. I don't always feel that. You know, so... That's something we're going to be looking at, too, to a degree. But all creation was just beautiful, and there was just nothing wrong with anything. And, you know, you didn't have diseases, and you didn't have all this kind of stuff going on. And you could eat anything you wanted to, except for animals at that time. But, um, you know, I, I would sure be sure that the uh, fruit and everything like that was just fine. <laughs> Wouldn't you think? So what happened was, as you know, Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. We, we sometimes don't even think about the fact that there's been sort of an angelic conflict going on 
in the eternities where, as the Bible explains, Satan claimed that I want to be as good as you are, or I am as good as you are. I can do everything you can do, da-da-da-da-da. And so as the, the, these two were tempted, particularly her and then him, uh, the whole picture clouded up. No longer was it something where they could just go to God and say, hey, how does this work? There was a barrier between them. That barrier was caused by sin. And God said, that barrier is going to remain. That doesn't stop me from having a relationship with you, but it breaks down our fellowship. So when we separate those two thoughts, relationship and fellowship, which I'm going to explain more in a few minutes, but when that, when that thing happened, one of the best phrases in all of, and I'm not sure it's even in scripture, it's just a great little phrase. And that's when you come to one of these perplexing problems and the words come in that says, God, but then God, whew, everything changes. That's an absolute right hand, total 180 degree turn is coming next. So when we look at all those things and we come to the point where we say, but God, then because he wanted to have fellowship with his creation, he created ways to continue to do that. Uh, and up until today even and tomorrow too, if there is one. <clears throat> Excuse me, but when you look at the Old Testament, for example, I often, have often been perplexed as to whether or not hmm, how all that related to what we're doing today as far as salvation and all those kinds of things are concerned. When you start to realize that it was a, still a situation of relationship versus fellowship, and fellowship is best described as enjoying God. That's the best description that I've ever heard of it. Enjoying God. Well, we all have wonderful things to enjoy, but we don't always enjoy God. We don't always enjoy those things because of a break in our fellowship. I'm going to keep using that and stressing that word because it's going to become very important to us later on. But as we look back to the Old Testament, and I'm not going to go into the Noahic days and those kinds of days because we don't have enough time for that, but I just really want to focus on the uh, Passover, the advent of Passover. If you recall, that was when they were the Jews. The Jews, the nation of Israel, was in Egypt. And after, after God had brought all the plagues and everything upon the Egyptians, they finally said, get out. And they said, okay, that's a good deal. We'll go. And so they all get ready to go and all that. And, they're, and God says, now here's the thing. Before we go, we're going to put, I want you to put some blood over the lentil or the, I think they called it a lentil at that time, but over the, Mike, what do you call it? Threshold, the top part, whatever that is. Mantle, I'll take that. Right. Up above the doorway, anyhow. Spread that blood up above there from a sacrificed animal, and the angel of death will pass over that house and not take the spear old child. Because the rule was, or the plan was of God, was to eliminate all, I think, two-year-old children. Firstborn. Firstborn. Firstborn, thank you. Uh, in order to, well, punish Egypt, for one thing. And so the idea was, if you had the blood over the mantle, then 
the angel of death would pass over your household and would not take the firstborn. Well, the, the Jews did that. Israel did that. They put the blood on the mantle. Then shortly after that, they left out on the journey to go to, back, go to the promised land. So you know, you know the story on that. Of course, the, God opened the sea so they could get across the, uh, the river or the sea. And uh, then shortly after that, you know, everybody, let me ask you a question. Do you think that nation Israel, when it was approaching the river that they were going to go across, do you think they were believers? Well, there's some, yeah, okay, we got all three possible views. Yes, no, and some. <laughs> and it's one of those views, that, there was really the only three views, I suppose there is possible of that. I myself am convinced now that yes, they were all believers. Why? Because the way that you became a believer in the Old Testament was to trust God, right? That's the only way. There was no Messiah yet, there was a promised Messiah, but he wasn't here yet. So it was an issue of trust of God. You go to the Abrahamic covenant, God, or Abraham trusted God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, right? And that carries on throughout. So I'm of the impression that I personally believe that scripture teaches that the nation Israel was in a right relationship with God. Now I want to spend a couple of minutes explaining, well no, let me, before I, before I do this. After that then began things like the temple worship, the sacrifices and all those kinds of things. And now thinking that way and that what happened with them when they get, came across the river and started grumbling and you know, not getting enough meat and potatoes and stuff like that and uh, not being able to go into the promised land and all the things that went on with them and all the grumbling that went on there, uh, God got a little upset about that. And when Moses came back down and they'd already made some uh, idols to take the place of the, of the all-providing God. Um, God said, well, okay, if that's where you're going to be, here's the deal. You are my children, right? The nation Israel is his children. Any doubt about that? Okay. If you are my children, then we have a relationship. Think about it. I have five children. And I have a relationship with all of them based upon the fact that we are all in the same family. Will that ever change? No, it will never change. There is never ever a time going to be when my daughter is not my daughter or my son is not my son. There may be times, for example, and I actually do have a situation like that in my own life now with a son who is still my son but I have no relationship with him. I mean, I have no fellowship with him. That's so common. And I'm sure a lot of you have that same experience where you have had a child or a friend or a church member who has done something wrong for you, sinned against you, and that has broken the relationship. Do you get the picture? This is so important to be able to look at it this way because it changes how you deal with so many things in life. This whole thing is all about how to enjoy life as a Christian. You need to know that. 
You need to know that no matter what happens, you are still a child of God's. You are not necessarily enjoying the relationship. I'm sorry, the fellowship. It's so easy to get those words mixed up. Thank you, Connie. She corrected me on that just like that. <laughs> She's heard this before, apparently. Uh, so so when, when you consider all of that, when the Jews then came out of there and they didn't get the promised land, at least that generation didn't, uh, later on, God never broke his promise. He promised them the land. He still hasn't fulfilled that completely. But is, is he going to? Of course he's going to do that. See, that's an, a, a unilateral promise that he, because he's God, cannot and will not break. The difference then is when you and I want to have our relationship with him. I'm sorry. See, it's so easy to step those two, two things up, uh, together. When we don't have a fellowship with him, it's because some barrier has been put up, and that barrier is always sin. It could be sin against God, it could be sin against my neighbor, it could be sin against one of you guys. If I don't confess that, that becomes a barrier, stays a barrier, and there is a strained relationship between us from that point on. We still have the relationship, remember, we don't have the fellowship. How do we restore the fellowship? All you have to do is we just have to look. I'm sorry, maybe I'm going to get ahead of myself here, and I don't want to be able to do that. Uh, okay. In an eternal relationship, God does not mean the covenant parties are enjoying the relationship. The Jews didn't enjoy the relationship, did they? Obviously, there were some that did, of course, but I'm talking about the nation as a whole. They were not enjoying what we would call fellowship. So, but God sent Jesus. And with his death, burial, and resurrection, anyone who chooses to trust him for their salvation is a what? of God. A thank you. A child of God. There's that relationship again. If you've ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have a relationship with the Father that will never, ever, ever, ever change. He will never say, no, you are no longer my child because you've been a dirty, rotten scoundrel or because you go to prison or because you do what? Anything that happens to you. He's never going to say, no, you're not my children. But you're not going to enjoy our relationship, I mean our fellowship that well. You see the difference between the two? It's an important difference because we get them so confused, just like I did here with the relationship fellowship thing. <laughs> I'm so used to thinking of it as uh, um, standing and our positional truth, you know, that we are in Christ and all that. Well, that's something else. We won't go there. So when you think about a family relationship, I just want to really impress on you the idea that as a family, it will never, ever change. These guys will never, ever quit being your kids, no matter what they do. They go to jail for, no, I'm not suggesting anything, <laughs> but if they go to jail or 
even if they don't ever accept Christ as Savior, they're still your child. You don't want to have a broken relationship, but most importantly, you don't want to have a broken relationship with the Father. We don't want to have it with people. I have a few people in, people, few people in my life who I have nothing to do with anymore. And if I guess it were put up against the wall, I'd say I choose not to have any dealings with them for some, religion, for some reason or another similar to that, whether it's sin or whatever. I just choose not to have a relationship with them. Well, that doesn't change the fact that if it's my child, it's still my child. So that never, ever changed. Uh, let's see. All of this time, up until the time of Christ, of course, they've been living under the law, so they were doing sacrifices, which are what? What's the purpose of a sacrifice? To make an atonement, right, of a form. Then you have the Day of Atonement, once a year when the priest would go into the temple and, and put blood in the Holy of Holies for the sins of the nation Israel. So you had two systems going there, the nation Israel being having a, right, a relationship with uh, God and individuals having a relationship with God. It's much the same right now. The Jews as a nation still have a relationship with God. Even though they reject him in so many ways, uh, very much like some of us do reject him in so many ways. But what happened then is that God says, I need a new operating system. Now that brings you all up to date, right? What's an operating system? I, when I'm thinking about that, I said, okay, the best way to think that is, what was the first operating system that you ever knew of? Pong. <laughs> right? I don't know that that's the first one out there, but that's the only one I ever remember. Pong was an operating system. It was a way of doing business. In other words, it was a way of getting that ball to go from there to there or whatever. I don't remember how, how that went. But that was pretty elaborate stuff at the time. That's an operating system. So God, of course, being able to design the perfect operating system, chose to do a new plan. And it's primarily based upon the the gospel's rendition of Jesus saying when he was talking to the disciples just before he was to be uh, put to death. And he said, I will send what? Advocate, helper. Good. Lots of different things. Advocate, helper. Uh, I will send another comforter is another way of putting it. What was he talking about? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So these, these guys, these disciples, you know, they've got day-to-day -day relationship with Christ, and, you know, this is all kind of hunky-dory. And, and now all of a sudden, he's going to go, and he's telling them, he's giving them the Great Commission. He says, now, you guys get out there and do all this work, which is, I know, impossible for you to do, but I'm commanding that you do that anyhow. But here's the deal. I'm going to give you the Comforter. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to power you for all those kinds of things. Do you think it's any different today than it was then? I don't think it's any different at all. We have the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. He has the power in you to do what God wants you to do. God has a plan, and he's not going to let that plan go apart. It's going to work. So he has chosen 
us and all believers of all ages to be participants in that plan. So for us, it's an opportunity, but it's an opportunity that is loaded to the gills with power because of the Holy Spirit. Now, keep one thing in mind. The Holy Spirit, and I was going to read, uh, Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not talking about the gifts of the Spirit, I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit, are joy and peace and all of, all of those things. It's found in Galatians 5.22 and 26. I didn't write out all the things that were included in that, but there's a ton of them. And all of those things are what you have the opportunity to have. It's part of your being when you have the Holy Spirit. He brings that to you. Now, what are you going to do about that? You're going to allow him to take care of those things in your life, or are you going to sit and fret and say, oh, God, why are you doing this to me, and all this kind of stuff? Well, the thing about God is that he, you know, we've... In Ephesians, we've been talking about the fact that every spiritual blessing is now yours. Is that unbelievably powerful? I mean, we can't even begin to comprehend that, that we already are possessors of all of that. The difference is, are we users of all of that? And I say, for the most part, probably not. And the reason that we're probably not is because the Holy Spirit was sent to us to guide us, to lead us, to teach us, to do all these kinds of things that are according to God's will. If we're not doing those things, or if we let sin enter the picture, then that relationship is broken, and the Holy Spirit's ministry then becomes one of conviction. He's saying, Chuck, you need to stop doing what you're doing, and you need to do it now. And I say, nah, I don't think so. I'm going to go on and do what I want to do now. So he'll come back the next day with a bigger two-by-four and he'll say, <laughs> he'll say, Chuck, you need to realize that what you're doing is sin. And all that I'm asking you to do is to agree with me that what I'm saying you are saying is sin. That's all I'm asking you to do. Yes, Jesus, or yes, Holy Spirit, or yes, God the Father, what you are convicting me of, I agree, is sin. You don't want to promise you're never going to do it again because you don't want to make a liar out of yourself, too. You know, so that's kind of foolishness. One of the things that I find interesting over the, over the years, and I, I actually have been um, an advocate of this kind of thinking for a long time, 40 years or so, one of the arguments that always come up, well, wait, it's, y'all have, well, I'm not going to ask you that because I don't want you to answer. Um, <laughs> I have recurring sin. There's another name for that, which I can't think of at the moment. Do you, can you think of it? What it's called? One that keeps coming back habitual. to you? Habitual. habitual. That's a good word. We'll use that one. A habitual sin that I habitually confess. They say, well, wasn't all that taken care of at the cross? Yes, it was. That's as far as your relationship is concerned. Your fellowship, that's another thing. That's a day-by-day -day process. So, um, that's one of, the, one of the difficulties of getting old, is uh, your mind kind of takes off once in a while and goes someplace else, you know, where it's not supposed to go. Anyway, so, th what's the answer to that if 
if a recurring sin comes back and you confess it and you say to yourself, well, how many times do I have to confess this? Well, till it's gone, really. But if you ask, if you look in Scripture, it says seven times? No. Seven times seven? Yeah, or more. Just keep confessing it until it's gone. So it's not a situation where it's a one and done thing always. It certainly can be and should be. But it isn't always that way. So if you have to confess that sin over and over again, even in the same day, God's saying thanks. That's a good thing. I'm glad you're doing that. Now let's get back to the business that I have for you, which is my spirit leading you in all the things that I want you to do. Now don't you think that it would be the best place that you could possibly be to be doing exactly the things that God wants you to do? I think it would be. If you don't, I don't know what you're thinking of, really, because if, to be in God's will is absolute perfect. It don't get no better than that. That's a Kentuckyism. <laughs> uh, I hope he's listening. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, he get. I know. I know. <laughs> He and I get along so well that I can say those things about him and he won't get mad at me too much. So anyway, uh, an illustration of this is found in Luke 17, verse um, 3. And you, you know this when you see it. <clears throat> I mean, you'll remember it. Verse is, what did I say? 3 and 4. It says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Now, does, does it mean that if it's eight times, it's not any good? No, this is an illustration that there is no end to the amount of times that you may need forgiveness for it. I'm convinced that God eventually, through the Holy Spirit, will root that particular um, issue out of your brain or out of your system if you'll allow them to. If you fight them, not so much. So, once again, going back to the very important basis of this whole concept is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a relationship that is unbreakable. Even God, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm not going to say that. But it is unbreakable. It cannot ever be broken. If that's not security, I don't know what is. And if you're living in fear and doubt about whether or not you're a believer in Christ or whether or not you're doing the will of God or whether or not you're doing this or the other thing, trust yourself what God says in his word, and that is that if you've placed your faith in him, you are secure. Now, when you are doing something you ought not be doing, which we will call sin, for lack of a better term. God is just saying, come on, time to get over that. You've had that chance of doing that stuff back when you were an unbeliever. Don't, don't even go down that road anymore. Just admit to me that what you're doing is wrong. And I, I promise you by the means of 1 John 1, 9, that I will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What a powerful statement that is. Because if you look at the and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, that means, oh, wait, I forgot a sin yesterday. Well, psh, that's gone if I've confessed one today. 
You need, you need to confess known sin. If it's unknown, your confession of known sin will take care of all of those things too and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You are as clean as you're ever going to be. Then. And hopefully what happens over time, which I've experienced, I sin less. I didn't quit. But I sin less because I'm more aware by the Holy Spirit, a lot, by allowing the Holy Spirit to, you know, really have a, a piece of my action, um, I'm I'm more cognizant of a sin when I do it, and I confess it quicker than I did used to do. That's a bad sentence structure, but <laughs> um, you get the you get the idea. So the po- point is all this. First John one nine is the greatest single tool to maintain a healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit. The use of that. Not the relationship. I said that again. See, I break, That's one of the problems is you get that we've used relationship in one meaning for so long when now we're trying to give it a different meaning. We're giving it a different meaning in being like a relative. Right? Now, are you all my relatives? Every one of you believers are, right? Because we're all in the body of Christ. We're all related. So it applies to that relationship too. That relationship should never, ever break. And God will preserve that too. If we'll work on the fellowship aspect of it. So 1 John 1.9 is a very important. You now have maybe a little bit of an idea of why it's so important to this church. Because the fact is this, that if you come to church, and I used to illustrate this in some pretty bizarre ways, which I don't think I will do today, but uh, if you come to this church this morning, for example, and you were thinking horrible thoughts about your wife on the way in, now the husbands, I I mean, the wives I wouldn't pick on because they would never do that, but, (laughs) and you come into this church at that the Holy Spirit is going to be sitting there saying, Chuck, you didn't confess that sin. You know you were sinning all the way in here when you were thinking about your wife in that respect. I don't do that. <laughs> Rarely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, anyway. My point is this, that if you come into church, I, I, this is my thought of how God takes that. He's sitting up there saying, Chuck, go home. Don't even bother to go to church because you're not going to get anything out of it. It's a waste of your time and it's a waste of my effort. You know, Go back home. Get straightened out. Fix that deal. Confess that sin. And move on. And when you move on, then you have all the power that you could ever, ever need. And you have the ability to make decisions that you never, ever thought you would have the ability to. I often illustrate this by saying, I I recall years ago, particularly in the church here, four young people just agonizing over where they should go to college. Well, should I go to Northwestern or should I go to Calvary or should I go to this? And they're just all torn up about that. The answer to that is if you're in fellowship, which one do you want to go to? Which one sounds the best? I like that because it's in Florida, you know, or whatever the reason might be. That's the will of God. Don't you know that? Do you believe that? 
If you have no unconfessed sin, what Holy Spirit is telling you to do, the decisions that you make are the right ones. That's quite a thing. It's quite a thing to think about because you really do need to think about that because we all labor over decisions. I remember one time thinking about what color car I wanted to buy. You know, and I labored over that in my mind. Um, and I, then I bought a car, took it home, and I told my wife at the time that, hmm, I bought a blue car, I told her. It was a 51, no, 61 Ford blue car. She goes, that's just, it's black. <laughs> Apparently, the color didn't matter that much to me. So... <laughs> Plus, being colorblind doesn't help those kinds of situations a whole lot either. So I just quit referring to colors at all uh, as a safety. I have a little uh, uh, quote from uh, Professor Anderson, who I'd like to read. Could it be he's, argu he's arguing with a person who, doesn't, who still thinks that uh, 1 John 1, 9 is a salvation passage, not a fellowship passage. And he says, could it be that when one of God's children knowingly sins, his guilt through conviction by the Holy Spirit keeps him from enjoying his relationship with the Heavenly Father? Could it be that he loses his fellowship with his Father, but not the relationship? Absolutely, it can be and is. And he goes on to say, for those who have for the Christian life more of, I've thought of it, <coughs> excuse me, more as a riddle than a revelation. And I think we all are a little guilty of that, thinking of it as a riddle. Perhaps what, present here, what we present here will help them make sense of it all. If you can think about the relationship-fellowship concept as being a part of your thinking system, your operating system, it will make a difference in how you are decision-making, how you respond to God's word, how you respond to the Spirit's wooing, uh, and it, it can absolutely make a profound difference in your life. I would just advocate that you think that all through, that you begin to realize that that is a truism, and that it is something that I need to re respond to. I need to be more tuned into the Spirit and listening to what He's telling me about what I'm thinking or what I'm doing. I find in Christians it's more thinking sin than it is overt sin. Uh, but to God there's no difference. In fact, in Proverbs, I believe it is, where he talks about the seven sins that, are, uh, that he abhors, only one of them is an overt sin. Six of the seven are mental attitude sins, hatred, those kinds of things. So having said that, in not too splendiferous a way. Uh, I do want to just put in a plug for uh, the men's ministry and our Monday night meetings. We are going to start tomorrow night a series of eight sessions covering this subject a little later on, covering a couple of other major subjects that all, in my estimation, have profound impact on your Christian life. So we're going to be doing those. There'll be an hour and a half each Monday night for men. If you're not coming to the Monday night study now, that doesn't matter. 
feel free to come. Uh, we'll, we're all going to meet together and we're going to discuss these topics, which I feel are very, very profound. Uh, we're going to be looking at things like relationship fellowship. We're going to look at uh, discipleship. We're going to look at um, dispensationalism. That scares you away right there, doesn't it? Um, but it won't, and it shouldn't, because it makes a difference what you believe about that whole particular subject. And the other one is going to be on uh, justification versus sanctification, which is where a tremendous amount of misunderstanding occurs. So that's going to happen on Monday nights, 6 o'clock in the church here, men, uh, and it'll go till 7.30. So we'd encourage you to come to that. Any questions? Good. That means one of two things. <laughs> uh, tomorrow night we're going to start with uh, dispensations. And we'll spend two weeks on each of those four items over the eight-week period of time. And then we'll end the summer, so we're done. So I'd encourage you to come. It's going to be a fun discussion. It's going to help you to... Uh, to uh, you know, kind of lock that doctrine into your thinking system, <clears throat> excuse me, so that you uh, use it in all conditions. So, uh, I, are there any other prayers that I'm supposed to be doing here? I was going to save roasting Jim till later, but we did it already. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I lost that one. Anything else that you know of? No? You have the deer in the headlight thing. <laughs> well, let's pray. And then uh, Emily's going to come up and uh, talk to us about a few things. Pardon me? Oh, okay. Yeah, she's going to be doing announcements and we'll give you an opportunity. <laughs> Father, we just really do thank you again for your love for us, for the fact that you have through faith in Christ established us as a permanent part of your family. Father, I just pray that we would see the clarity between enjoying our walk with you and not. And I pray that we would all move strongly in the area of being desirous of being controlled by the Spirit and allow the Spirit to do those things in our life that only you can do. Father, we thank you for this day and just ask your blessings upon it, safe journeys and all those kinds of things. And we just um, pray that you have received a blessing out of this, that this is promising to you. Father, we thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.